KYW Original Podcasts. From KYW News Radio, all news and all that matters to you, this is Flashpoint. What's igniting debate online and in your community? I'm KYW Community Affairs reporter Cherry Gregg, and we'll run through the big issues of the week that are getting folks hot under the collar. Coming up. Campaign 2019 on KYW News Radio. This is a special edition of the Flashpoint Podcast, our very first Democratic mayoral debate. Today, we hear from the candidates. We can't have two public defenders and no prosecutor. A fat, rich person doesn't have more right than a skinny, poor person. We talk about the burning issues plaguing the city of Philadelphia. And guess who was in the building? All right. Real people here. You are listeners. And we also tell you who was not. All of this and more. We'll be right back. Flashpoint is sponsored by the Gift of Life donor program, Organ Donors Save Lives. Register today at DonorsOne.org. Campaign 2019 on KYW News Radio. Welcome back to our special one-hour edition of Flashpoint. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. The show was recorded before a live studio audience at the CBS Broadcast Center. Let's listen in. Today, our focus is the Democratic race for Philadelphia mayor. On May 21st, Philadelphia voters will cast their ballots in a primary that will determine who will sit on the ballot as a Democratic candidate in November and ultimately be the city's chief executive. Currently, James Kenney holds the seat, but he has two Democratic challengers, former Philadelphia controller Alan Buckovitz. Welcome. And Pennsylvania State Senator Anthony Hardy Williams. Welcome. They are here to make the case for why voters should choose them over the incumbent. I should mention that Mayor Jim Kenney declined our invitation to be here tonight, but we have a nice seat for him just in case he decides to show up. With me to put the challengers to the test is our panel of KYW reporters whose beats bump up against some of the most pressing issues in Philadelphia. KYW City Hall Bureau Chief Pat Loeb. Four reporters, Kristen Johansson. Thank you, Kristen. And finally, tech editor Ian Bush. And we have you. You, our audience, will also have a chance to ask the burning questions. Welcome to Flashpoint, everybody. First up is City Hall Bureau Chief Pat Loeb. She has the first question. You each have 90 seconds to respond. Pat, you have the floor. The Philadelphia School District decimated under Governor Tom Corbett, just beginning to recover because the city has increased its contribution by $700 million. But the city's resources are finite, and the state is not meeting its constitutional mandate to see that they're fully funded. And yet, Senator Williams, you champion a voucher program that diverts $100 million from the state budget to private and religious schools. How do you justify that, given the unmet needs of the Philadelphia School District? Yeah. glad you asked me that. I'm not sure what voucher bill you're talking about I'm championing, but I will tell you what I've done in the area of public education. In my 30-year career, I've raised taxes multiple times under multiple governors. Under Tom Wolf, um, I mean, under... under um, Ed Rendell, um, I've been 100% on his support of increasing public education. Under um, current uh, administration, Governor Wolf, I've been 100% with regard to that. I'm also a member who supported charter schools and options, of which 
Jim Kenney and Alan Buckowitz were also party to that process. But most importantly, separate from anybody in this, in this race, I'm the one who introduced the bill in 2013 to keep our public schools open. As a member of the legislature, that's an exceptional category and space I take great pride of. Currently, I'm not involved in supporting uh, any particular bill that talks about a voucher. I'm involved in supporting public education, and I've done that for over 30 years. So I take great pride in the fact that the cigarette tax was a part of the 2013 budget fiscal code that opened and kept public schools open in Philadelphia County. Okay, Mr. Rutgers, what would you do to see that Philadelphia public schools are fully funded? Well, first of all, it was a mistake for Mayor Kenny to take the schools back from the SRC without insisting that the billion-dollar debt run up by the SRC get paid off. Mayor Street was pretty ingenious back in 2000 when it went the other way, and he got the state to commit to a large increase in funding while getting two out of five seats. On the but what F- would you do, sir? Well, well, what would I do is basically be a political leader in Harrisburg. There's two ways to do it. Either we've got to capture control of both houses of the legislature, or we have to be able to deal with the Republicans in control on matters that they want in exchange for what we want, of which the biggest thing is adequate funding uh, for Philadelphia schools. There's current litigation going that the Public Interest Law Center is pursuing, which, uh, amazingly, Philadelphia has not signed on to as a plaintiff that is based on racial disparity in funding formulas around the state. So I would join that lawsuit, and I would make the deals necessary, because Philadelphia can't possibly, with its resources, tax its way out of the school deficit. If the question were what I would do uh, to add additional funding beyond that, there are two things I've talked about. it. One, uh, the PICA funds, which are going to be those bonds, which are going to be paid off in three years, that's $50 million. We're going to direct that towards public education. $100 $100 million, which we're currently spending on the judiciary system for Philadelphia County, which has been challenged multiple times and is, frankly, unconstitutional. But the Supreme Court was Republican, is now Democrat. Uh, we're going to sue the, the Commonwealth, and our belief is that that's $150 million. And before the next administration is over, there will be recreational uh, marijuana, and we're going to use those resources directly by public education in Philadelphia County. All can right, I, next Can, up, I, can I respond to that? Ten seconds, please. <laughs> we already won that case in the Supreme Court in 1989. We just haven't found a way to get a judgment to release the money to us. There's no re- even without a Democratic Supreme yeah. Court, we won that case. All right. Next up, our courts chief, Kristen Johansson, to Senator Williams, then to Mr. Buckovitz. So many anti-violence advocates say that those who get caught up in crime lack education, but also opportunity. So what would you do to make businesses step up and give back to the community and create those opportunities? We've gone through the cycle of violence before, and we have found our ways out of it. The primary way is jobs, education, and hiring those who are involved in the activity. Um, I'm a product of the gang war period in the 70s, which was probably before you were, were born. Did you want to say something? Yeah, we're, we're trying to speak specifically about the business community, what you would do to I'm get getting businesses to, that. to set up. I'm, I'm getting to that. So there was an entity which was called Crisis Intervention, and it was supported in part. It was a private, non-profit, it was a nonprofit and private, private entity. And what happened was that the city, under Frank Rizzo even then, uh, thought it was important that the city contribute financially, but the private sector contributed financially. So the organization hired gang members off the streets of Philadelphia, and within one year, they reduced the level of violence. And so in terms of the private sector, we are going to work with them to encourage them to support the, a, a similar program. We're also going to work in terms of job training, behavioral health, though, because the reality is that for us to talk about the private sector, we also have to prepare employees to be functional within that space. And so both of those things, we have experience in being successful, and we know how to do it quick follow-up for you. What's the incentive? To do to, that? To encourage them. Well, yeah. well, the incentive is to have, one, a safer city that would mobilize around having people come here. No, no different than when Ed Riddell said, 
you know, Center City was blighted and was dangerous, and he decided to take on Center City. No, the incentive to the businesses to do what you asked. I'm getting ready to say that. Yeah. So what was an incentive then is the incentive now. That is having a safe city so people spend money and participate within the economy of Philadelphia. And so for us, it's kind of logical to have more people working rather than causing all sorts of havoc. I would say that the businesses need to be paired individually with individual schools. The example of Elliott Lewis in the Northeast, which is paired with a specific school, they provide summer jobs, they always pick out of the graduating class several students from that school for their employment. That should become a thing in Philadelphia. The large corporations should do it. When I was controller, we pioneered an anchor procurement initiative with the, uni- the 38 universities and hospitals and medical schools in the city. and. You create a fad. People ought to have stickers in the store windows that they're participating. We ought to be working through the commercial corridors. You kind of jawbone it. The mayor should be involved in recruiting. Look, when we hosted the Democratic National Convention, a lot of businesses got involved in volunteering. Their their people worked as guides. You just have to, there is tremendous pent-up energy about helping the public schools. There's a lot of enthusiasm, but it's not directed. It's not led. And people feel that it kind of is is like a few drops of water in the ocean. And that's what has to be overcome. And I don't think it's going to be that hard. Tech editor Ian Bush. First to Mr. Buckvis, then to Mr. Williams. You each have 60 seconds for this one. There are a number of initiatives, minority participation initiatives in the city that help ensure more contracts go to MBEs, to minority business enterprises. But we've seen those businesses aren't growing to scale despite decades of effort, even as other uh, businesses in the city are growing. Why do you think, Mr. Buckovitz, first, uh, are MBEs remaining stagnant? And what would your role be if elected mayor in ensuring their success? Actually, that's the first issue I tackled as city controller in 2006. We did a comprehensive study, interviewed 1,500 minority contractors, issued a, a strong report, which the major finding was there's insufficient capital for those entities to grow into being the, the general contractors. There's a practice on the part of general contractors to put in lists of supposed minority partners that they don't even tell those partners they're on the list and they don't share any work with them. We brought the first enforcement action against the general contractor, Bach Construction, for cheating on that, for fraud, which knocked them out of $35 million contract. Kenny has the goal to talk about expanding minority participation in the city while he's just cut it 2% by knocking the largest African-American contract in the city's history, the one for the city hall the MSB and 1500 Arch Street out while he's saying, imagine we're in 2024 and everybody left forward and he's decimating minority contracts and employment. In 10 seconds, can you specifically say what you would do if you were elected mayor to First, first of all, I would do what I was as controller, where we expanded on the pension board from 4% of pension money being under minority management to 25%. I would make it my mission to expand participation. I wouldn't go backwards, and I would support a public bank right. and, and uh, stop the redlining of minority businesses, and I would participate in ICIC, which is a, a group based in Boston that specifically identifies minority zip codes and creates a, a Shark Tank Wall Street connection to those companies. Philadelphia is like the only big, right. we tried, we were like the only big city in the country that didn't give them the $75,000 to do their training in Philadelphia. Senator Williams. We're going to start with the obvious. When they use this term minority business, it's a misnomer. People of color are the majority population. And what we allow the government to do is get off the hook with describing people of color as a secondary class. So that's going to change. Second part is that, frankly, with all due respect, we do a terrible job uh, when it comes to encouraging and participating with 
minority uh, or, frankly, people of color companies. Two, almost $3 billion spent, 12% goes to that population. And we do, do, we do nothing to encourage investment in that, in that category. So as mayor, a few things. One, uh, we're going to create our own entity, which we call Municipal Bank, which would encourage investment within communities of color and beyond. We're going to invest in those business corridors which are coming back to life and support them going forward. We're going to give training and, and direction so that we move beyond a sole proprietorship in, in terms of your business. Third, we're going to make sure every department in the city government is aware of the category of space and excellence within those communities of color doing business and that want to do color for the city of Philadelphia. That completes our first round of questions. So we'll go to our second round and we'll start with Kristen Johansson. Each panelist has 60 seconds to respond. First, Mr. Buckovitz, then Mr. Williams. Mr. Buckovitz, murders in this city have been steady at about 15% more than last year's record-breaking year. Nearly 500 people have been shot in the city so far this year. And Philadelphia's district attorney has been criticized for being light on crime. The Kenny administration has implemented neighborhood-based crime-fighting initiative. What would your plan be to combat crime? To really do neighborhood proactive policing, it would be to target... Mayor Kenny has talked a good game on this, but he came up with an anti-violence program without anti-violence in it. Guns are killing this city. The drug trade is killing this city. There should It should be task force from the police department using confidential informants and undercover activities to identify the gun houses, where I understand you can go to some and rent a gun for an hour, targeting the illegal gun sales out of the trunks of cars. We need to respond like Mayor Street did with Operation Sunrise in force. We have to do interventions. We have to have more job programs. We have to do crisis intervention and focus deterrence. But that's long term. Short term, the focus of the police has to be on the fact that guns have become viral in this city and we got to get them off the street. The first thing I want to do is declare it a state of emergency. Similar to what we did with the opioid epidemic, we've identified it as a problem and a crisis. We should never be here at this level of murder in Philadelphia without being interrupted three and a half years ago when we saw this trend. So the first thing we're going to do is identify and make it A, an emergency for the city of Philadelphia. Two, we're going to be smarter about how we police in Philadelphia. Stop and frisk has not deterred the level of these interruptions in Philadelphia. We are going to use the illegal gun task force, of which I was an author and creator in Harrisburg, to support removing illegal guns from Philadelphia. We are going to support, and that $2 billion, which I mentioned, by the way, a significant portion goes to to, to nonprofit organizations. The Kennedy administration currently has a $32 million proposal on the table. It's not spent penny the first. We're going to use portions of that to fund neighborhood organizations that we know will have, and data-driven, that we know will have an effect in terms of deterring crime. We're going to support the police department by creating apps that the community can use online so they can identify live streaming shooting that's going on currently and support the police department in that. And finally, we're going to create a culture within the police department that actually has a much more diverse police force so that when we're in neighborhoods, people are much more comfortable about moving around with supporting one another. Pat Loeb, you're up next. Yeah, you just mentioned stop and frisk, and this is something you've beat the mayor up about not ending completely. But pedestrian stops are down by two-thirds and non-cause stops down by 90%. Would you really end it completely if there was a shooting in a church or a synagogue and police ran into someone meeting the suspect's description en route, they shouldn't stop them? That's a different standard. And everybody who argues about stop and frisk knows that there is a legal standard. By the way, New York City has done it. They do stop people that are considered probable suspects. Stop and frisk is just an opinion that allows somebody arbitrarily to stop you. This weekend, or two weekends ago, a pen relays occurred in Philadelphia. A young African-American man. I'm aware that the city hasn't stopped it completely, but would you stop it completely? That's what I'm asking. Yes. But I was trying to give context 
to how I would stop it and why I would stop it. Mm -hmm. And that's because you've indicated certain statistics that the, that the administration rolls out as if, you know, the 90 percent is better than no percent. The truth is that it still is a significant number of which we're being sued and liable for the city of Philadelphia. There's too many examples. The one I was just giving you was one of a, of a young man at the pen relays going to his car to get something. He got stopped, thrown up against the wall, and a gun was put in front of his face. With all due respect, yes, I would stop that. There is a legal standard, and you described it. When a crime is committed, and there's obvious indications that there's somebody to stop, that makes sense. But arbitrarily making decisions about this is a way to get illegal guns off the street of Philadelphia is not fair, nor is it moral, nor is it appropriate. Yeah, I would stop it immediately. Uh, the different standard is uh, reasonable suspicion or probable cause. Back when the Miranda case and the Supreme Court decisions of the 60s were made, the police said it's pretty inconvenient that we're not allowed to sweat confessions out of people, we're not allowed to beat people up anymore, and the Supreme Court said under the Constitution, this is what you got to do. Every African-American I talk to has a story. Bishop Mary Palmer, very high-salaried lawyers, they all have a story about being pulled out of a car, being questioned, having weapons in their face, the chances that there's going to be an incident as a result of the anxiety on both sides of that confrontation, the fact that the police are nervous, the people in those situations are scared, the chance that people will be killed because of that policy is something that we shouldn't be risking. And I think the statistics we just showed was that it only increased uh, the gun prosecutions by about 1%. It's not even doing what they claim it's doing. I just want to be clear. Are you saying that this tool of stop and frisk will no longer be in the toolbox, so to speak, of Philadelphia police, yes or no? There, yes. yes. It will no longer be in the toolbox under any set of circumstances. Okay. Right. So let's jump into round three of our debate. First, we'll kick off with a 30-second answer lightning round. First up is Ian Bush to Mr. Buckovitz, then Mr. Williams. Ian, you have the floor. Um, my question is for Mayor Kenny. Where are you? <laughs> um, Mr. Buckovitz, uh, since the mayor now appoints the Philadelphia School Board, would you like to see it approve more charter schools, yes or no, and why? I don't think there should be a moratorium against charter school approvals, but I don't think the public schools ought to be displaced. We've, got, we've seen excellent examples of public schools, excellent examples of charter schools. In fact, my biggest frustration in public life has been the kind, almost religious war between the various versions of education. I think we ought to be cooperating. We ought to be building the pie and finding adequate resources to support both those systems. Senator. I think that we need to have the charter school reimbursement return so that we can stop arguing about money. The second thing is that we clearly should be looking at a standard of excellence in all of our public schools, whatever they are. Magnets, charters, traditional neighborhood schools, that should be the measurement. And lastly, we probably need to seriously consider a, an elected school board so that people feel like they have more of a say in terms of what types of school they want to have. Next up, Kristen Johansson to Senator Williams and to Mr. Buckovitz. You each have 30 seconds. Kristen. Senator Williams, if you were elected mayor, would you keep Commissioner Richard Ross? Why or why not? Well, the last time I answered that question, I lost, so I'm not going to answer that question. Please, please answer so, the question. Why? Do you laugh at anything? That was a joke. <laughs> All right, that was a joke. Maybe not a good one, but it was a joke. 30 seconds. At any rate, so uh, I don't know. I don't, I, don't have, I don't have any predisposed perspective about anybody in the administration currently, so I'm not asking for anybody to leave or come. I don't think that he's done such a terrible job that I would say he should leave. I do think we have to reconcile our differences upon uh, stop and frisk. But I do think that, you know, the police department as, as overall would have an opportunity to, to sit down and explain to me where they need support. So yeah, you don't I, really have a yes or a no on that? 
I don't know either, but uh, my sense of it is that Mayor Kenny is very involved in intervening in the police department, and he really won't give Commissioner Ross the kind of freedom of action that Commissioner Ramsey had. I really admired the strength of Ramsey's role and his stature, and I'd like to see that in Ross. And until I'm the mayor, I don't think we'll be able to sort that out. We're going to have to talk to Ross, and we're going to have to talk to people who are familiar with how that works. I don't think it makes sense to shoot from the lip at this point and make decisions about appointments when you don't have access to all the information. Last up for this lightning round, Pat Loeb, Mr. Buckovitz first, and Senator Williams. Pat, you have the floor. 30 seconds. Y'all. Gentlemen, would you repeal the 10-year property tax abatement? I think we only need the 10-year uh, property tax abatement in areas where you cannot sell houses for more than $300,000. That was the problem in the first place. Center City doesn't need abatements anymore. South Philly doesn't need abatements anymore. University City doesn't need abatements anymore. Basically, the labor cost to construct a private residence in, the, in Philadelphia are about $300,000. And if you can't sell for 300000 in that neighborhood, then you still need the abatement there. So we would redesign the abatement. We need to, to use it for those who really need it. Public school teachers uh, need an abatement. Healthcare workers need an abatement. And so we need middle-class housing along with affordable housing. And so we're going to redesign the abatement process so that it's more effective in terms of where it returns. The other thing I want to add on is I do believe the mayor, when it comes to this issue of inclusion and diversity, himself suffers from some level of unconscious bias. Won't comment on that one, but I do want to insert a quick question here to you. Senator Williams, Mr. Buckovitz, as the city deals with widespread gentrification, most of the programs focus on homeowners. What about renters? Do you support rent control? Yes or no? And why 30 seconds? It hasn't worked. And unfortunately, even though the idea of it sounds great, but the truth is the market would not stand it and things would collapse as they have in other places that have tried to use it. What we will do, though, is continue to incentivize um, the mixed development in Philadelphia. We're going to use zoning that will incentivize development of all types of housing. We're going to attach it to developers who want to come here and do certain types of development. And we're going to use those who want to preserve their properties in a way, the character of this home. The majority of Philadelphia still has wonderful housing. Most of it is falls into a modest level, and we want to support that going forward. You can't do rent control. It's unconstitutional in Pennsylvania. In the zoning and the planning process, when developers come forward, there should be an impact statement on what it's going to mean for rents and an economic impact in the neighborhood, just like we have environmental impact statements when you're doing uh, construction on a gas station, for example. And it ought to be one of the factors taken into consideration, along with parking and everything else that they consider when you get a, a zoning approval or a planning commission approval. Okay, our next round of questions from our panelists. Ian Bush is up first. Mr. Buckovitz and Mr. Williams, you each have 90 seconds to answer. Let's uh, talk about Philadelphia's new voting machines. Um, critics, especially Mr. Buckovitz, your uh, successor, Rebecca Reinhardt, believe the machines were chosen too quickly. They're too expensive. They're less secure than they should be. Uh, her office has launched an investigation. This uh, turmoil that's playing out on our radio station, in the newspaper, on TV, is not a good look for the city, for its voters. We need and seek confidence in our election systems now more than ever. Can we trust these machines? And as mayor, what would you do to ensure the integrity of our vote? Well, if I was a commissioner, I would not have purchased the new machines because I think the machines we have are unhackable and that we're trading in something that would have uh, rebuffed 
the, the likely threat for something that would be more exposed to the threat. But that being the case, I'm not the election expert. And in terms of whether you can second guess a decision that's been made by the responsible people, I think Governor Wolf started this process by saying that he was going to decertify all the election machines, that he was concerned about the paper trail aspect of it, at, at, about recounts and how to do that. It's a reasonable decision that the commissioners made to do that. And just like what happened when Kenny reversed Nutter's decision on the police headquarters, where we dumped $50 million into 46th and Market, and now we dumped $180 million into the former Inquirer building, I, w- I wouldn't undo decisions that are going to cost tens of millions of dollars just because retroactively I think I have a better idea. I agree with Rebecca Reinhardt. And by the way, we're required to change the machines. That's why we're not keeping them. And I think that for all of us who are concerned about the integrity of voting, we realize that people are out there listening to this, and they're now questioning the decisions we're making. And so I'm, I'm very um, emphatically supine behind her, her decision to either stop the process or slow the process or change the process. I think it's the most responsible thing to do. It is challenging, and as a chief executive, I recognize the challenges of it, but the, the reality is our most sacred constitutional given gift is a right to vote. Our next panelist, Pat Loeb, has the floor. Mr. Buckovitz and then Mr. Williams, you each have 90 seconds to respond. Pat. Okay. Both of you have promised to repeal the soda tax, not the business income receipt tax or the wage tax or other taxes like the cigarette tax that you're so proud of that could just as arguably be called job killers. Why have you focused on the soda tax? Who exactly would benefit from the repeal outside of business people like supermarket owners and bottlers, especially given that it's caused a drop in consumption in communities that suffered from the effects of overconsumption, such as high rates of diabetes? and obesity. The federal indictment of John Doherty made it clear it was only passed for punitive reasons, to punish the Teamsters, because they had the nerve, actually, to be for Tony Williams for mayor last time, and they irritated John Doherty. But... I don't believe in confiscatory taxes being put on one industry at a time. Tax reform in Philadelphia 20 years ago, the purpose was to lower business taxes and lower the wage tax to create a better business environment. Now we have a parking lot tax that is making parking lots disappear in Center City in Philadelphia. We have a soda tax that has caused Jeff Brown, who's one of the best corporate citizens in Philadelphia history, hires 600 ex-offenders, gives them a career path, brings supermarkets into the inner city where they didn't have them, yeah, and he's, mal- he's maligned and he's castigated by this mayor because he hasn't gone personally bankrupt yet. And, so and he would same- benefit, but who else? The people who need to shop at supermarkets, the people who need supermarkets in the inner city, the people who don't want to have dinner at McDonald's every night, they would benefit. First of all, I have not only focused upon sweetened beverage tax. I, I, I have a whole policy document which talks about a whole series of taxes which discourages economic development in the city of Philadelphia. I'm not proud of the cigarette tax. It was a necessary tax. But the wage tax, I've committed to reduce, continue to reduce that. I've talked about the uniformity clause, uncoupling it in Philadelphia. And in fact, I, did it, I took it to Harrisburg and was successful for one term of moving it forward so that we can tax commercial real estate differently than you know, personal real estate. Um, and there's a series of tax policies that, frankly, discourage economic um, growth in Philadelphia that we have to talk in a very serious way about. So I have not solely talked about it. Now, those in the media have talked about it a lot because they think it's an appropriate contrast. And I'm not running away from that. I do think it should be repealed, and I've said the reasons why. And when the question is, who benefits? While I do respect people's thoughtfulness about one's health, a fat, rich person doesn't have more right than a skinny, poor person to make bad decisions because they have the money to do such. That's just unfair. Lastly, the people in neighborhoods 
uh, and it's not, I don't think it should be pushed aside that other than supermarkets, we talked about food deserts for a long time. And then we, the government, intervened in that. And we recognized that fresh fruits and all those kinds of things are important. And if I just thought it was about Pepsi and Coke, then I wouldn't probably be saying very much. But it's about almond milk, juice, and other things like that. So I think that, frankly, I have a complete array of taxes that I will talk about. This one, though, is the most regressive tax I've seen by anybody who claims to be a progressive ever. Next question from Kristen Johansson, Senator Williams. You will be first this Thank time. You. And then, Mr. Bukovitz, you each have 90 seconds to respond. Senator Williams, there have been stark differences between how the police department enforces law and how the current district attorney prosecutes crimes. If you were elected mayor, how would you address some of those sometimes competing ideological differences? I mean, I work with the, the current district attorney, not a lot. I do think that it requires all of us to be in neighborhoods to start talking to neighbors about how they feel about it because some of the underlying issues that relate to this level of contention come from, from community members. They certainly voted for the DA. They certainly agree with a lot of his progressive issues with you know no cash bail and some other things. But the recurring petty crimes which are occurring that are not being prosecuted, there is a pushback in neighborhoods across the city of Philadelphia. I think, frankly, the first thing I would do as chief executive is come visit with him, ask him to have a community meeting with us, and really listen to people. I think that he is a breath of fresh air and is running a thousand miles an hour and maybe sort of missing some of the details that folks are feeling in neighborhoods across Philadelphia. Larry Krasner is a revolutionary, and he has really changed, transformed the criminal justice system in ways that wouldn't have happened if he wasn't there. But he's not a guy that can manage the DA's office. His treatment of homicide cases, his refusal to have any empathy or understanding of families, of murder victims, his <coughs> lack of understanding that we have an adversarial system out of there's supposed to be a prosecutor and a defense attorney, and then the judges and the juries decide guilt and innocence and the appropriate penalty. We can't have two public defenders and no prosecutor. So what I would do is what Ed Rendell did when he was DA in the 1970s, and he was complaining about endemic plea bargaining. I would, use, I would be debating with Larry Krasner. Every day there was a questionable decision in that office. I would be... I think the police have made a lot of mistakes, too. They're not automatically entitled to backup. But I would be in that debate shaping it so that it's not just taken by default. And so how would you bring the two together, the police department and the district attorney's office? By highlighting outrageous cases. Every once in a while, one pops up now. If the mayor's focus is on that, it's going to pop up every day. We've seen some evidence that Krasner will back up and reconsider what he's doing when he's confronted with a hard case. We've also seen that the police can be just as stubborn, refusing to acknowledge uh, misconduct on the part of their members and refusing to grant authority over hiring and firing to the commissioner. I think it's uh, like one of the top issues in the city, and I would be publicly engaged on that, on, the, on behalf of doing what's right. The first conversation, I, I don't want to be in a back-and-forth match with the DA. I don't think that serves any of us. I do think a conversation that involves the community is the first thing. And then the second part is obviously having a conversation with the police department in terms of their needs. But I do think that there is significant benefit in looking at the same issue from different perspectives and then coming to some level where we can compromise. Uh, I do realize the DA was not hired to compromise, and so I understand that. But I also recognize that to make it safe across the city of Philadelphia, the DA, the mayor, and the public have to think we're all working together. There has been quite a, a bit of attention on decarceration in Philadelphia, helping the formerly incarcerated reintegrate into society. We have reentry programs, incentives to hire people with criminal backgrounds, automatic expungement. You know, clean slate bill just passed statewide. Whose bill was that? What? 
Just checking. What is missing? What is missing locally? Oh. 30 seconds. Uh, a lot. One, the office needs to operate more effectively. I talk to many of the folks who are involved in reentry uh, through my office as a state center, but as a private citizen, many I live in those neighborhoods where, where, where those folks are. And frankly, whatever we're doing is not really necessarily connecting with where they are in terms of job skills, access to real employment, providing for their families, supporting them, and moving forward. So we've done some incremental growth, but they are not necessarily engaged in the office that we currently have for the city. And I think we have to do a lot more work in putting those voices in the appropriate place. Uh, what's missing is jobs. What's missing is high-paying, reasonable, family-supporting jobs. We used to have, in the 50s, this was a city of factories. People could earn a, a decent living, and now the theory is that that has gone away. There's 50,000 long-haul truckers who are retiring now. They're in their 60s. There's tremendous opportunity there. When you have need, then employers are less uh, objecting to the fact that you might have a conviction for something. So we need the mayor to focus on getting good jobs that people in these categories can fulfill the job and they can get the job and they can support a family. Can we give a round of applause to our panelists here as well as to our candidates? Thank you all for your input. It's the smart look at the issues catching fire in Philadelphia. Flashpoint. What we have is a crisis. This goes way beyond just the perpetrator. You know how many times I had stopped people in front of my house from shooting up? It was a moment where black and brown people on the margins got to say, no, we've been hurting. I think we forget that you came from somewhere else, too. Host Cherry Gregg walks you through the flames. On air Saturday evenings at 9.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30. Or search the Flashpoint podcast on the Radio.com app. Now we are opening the floor for audience questions. This uh, question is from Carol Enos of Germantown. Mayor Kenny has been very clear regarding Philadelphia's status as a sanctuary city and his willingness to stand up to Washington. What are the other candidates' thoughts on this issue? I support the sanctuary city. I think uh, we should continue that policy in force. Same. Okay. Both of you support well, Sanctuary City. Yep. <laughs> Senator, we'll start with you in this one. This is from Nicole, who's from Old Kensington. She's a new homeowner. What are your opinions about safe injection sites, and what will, they, what will you do if they're established? A safe injection site, in your opinion, destroy a neighborhood? I'm in opposition to safe injection sites. The reality is that the moment you open a safe injection site, quote-unquote, in Philadelphia, you would be injecting some illegal substance from a drug dealer who would be in your community. The moment we open it, the federal government will be closing it down. Those places in the world that have those, the national government has recognized them. They also have established what drug. They also administer the drug. We're, all we're doing is talking about Narcan and extending someone's addiction. We're not talking about truly intervening in, in someone's life to help them get out of addiction. Whoever thought about putting in a place that already has a problem with drugs, I don't... I don't, I think it's the most disconnected policy other than the soda tax. The bottom line is we as a city should be talking about prevention, intervention, and aftercare. And that means in that space, early in life, you should learn about the consequences. We missed that opportunity to crack. We had to wait to the, to the opioid epidemic, right? So we need to teach our children early in life with the consequence of that. If you are an addict, we all recognize there are many... Many moments where you're just not going to get it. So we need to have, as a government, if you're in a library, if you're in any public space where you need information and opportunity and access to a place of recovery, we should be making that available to you. And then lastly, if you're going to work for the administration or work for the government, you should know that when you fall off the wagon, because you probably will, that you will not lose your job. 
We will support you in the entirety. Once you're an addict, you're always an addict. We have to support people in that process. Philadelphia has to be a model when it comes to prevention, intervention, yes. and aftercare. Thank you very uh, much. The, the word safe injection site are an oxymoron. There's no safe way to, to kill yourself. If you're going to be injecting heroin, you're going to be injecting higher and higher amounts to get a high. They're all contaminated with fentanyl. If you don't die in the injection site, you're going to die in the sidewalk or in the bathtub at home after using it. And on top of it, you're going to bring... We had a three-year-old boy that was murdered by, by the crossfire outside his house between drug dealers. What do you think is going to be the value of the street corners and the land that is as close to the injection site? I'll tell you, in Toronto, they had to hire 90 cops to protect the perimeter around the injection site. And in Philadelphia, one of the dirty little secrets is that there's only about 400 cops on duty during some shifts. So you're going to take one quarter of the police department on duty, and the only people in the city that get police protection are going to be the people at the injection site. Everybody else is going to be exposed, because you know you can't get a cop now when you need them. So what about the community? I think in addition to the list of what uh, Senator Williams mentioned, that there's got to be support for the families, as there is with Al-Anon for Alcoholics Anonymous. What, one of the unfortunate things that happens is if you raise your hand and say, I'm going to be a caretaker, I'm going to take care of somebody, everybody in the system steps away from you and abandons you, and you've got to figure it out yourself. And they, we, they should be getting continuous counseling and guidance, be able to uh, brainstorm and problem solve as they have additional problems with their loved one in addiction, and get that kind of support because right now they're just th- the families are just thrown to the dogs. All right, we have time for a couple more questions. Uh, there were there were a lot of great questions here, and uh, thank you for all these these policy questions. They're fantastic. I just wanted to take this one to maybe make us take a step back for a second. This is from Carolyn Richmond of University City. Uh, Carolyn says, "Being a leader takes courage to do the right thing on behalf of those you serve." Please give us examples of your courage in your resume. Wow. Am I first? Yep. Yes. One minute, please. Okay, so I don't consider yeah. it courage, but I do th- consider it contentious, and I have a bunch of that stuff. But one in particular, DAP, Diversity Apprenticeship Program. When we created the stadiums in Philadelphia, then was Tom Ridge and uh, Mayor Edrendell. And I was head of the Philadelphia delegation at the time. Everybody was on board because all the unions had knocked on all the doors, and everybody said, do it. I said, no. And I said, no, for a very specific reason, because as today, then, the trades were not diversified. And I said I was not in good conscience going to go back to Philadelphia in a city that was dominated by people of color and not have a deal on the table that said you are important and you mean something and you have a job. And so I worked with then Governor, a Republican, Tom Ridge, to get a million dollars for a program called the Diversity Apprenticeship Program. It was the first program of its type in Pennsylvania that allowed for entry level to the trades through training. Uh, and it lasts for about 15 years. Then State Representative Dwight Evans, who was chairman of appropriations, was very supportive and kept it moving when I could not. But I'm very proud of that because, frankly, at that moment in space, it was uh, intimidating, if you will, to stand up against organized labor in Harrisburg and, frankly, against a delegation and a mayor who wanted to have you know, the stadiums built. All my time in the legislature, I was a rebel. I was isolated. I stood up to Vince Fumo as, both as a legislator and as controller, despite his threats to my reelection. I stood up to John Doherty. It's a reason that I'm not the mayor right now. Uh, and I've called him out as the, the person who is specifically responsible for kind of single-handedly controlling Jim Kenney and blocking many of the initiatives that we're talking about, uh, blocking many black people from employment in Philadelphia. So believe me, none of those things. I, I undertook the corruption investigations of Sheriff John Green, 
who was tied into every power and every politician in Philadelphia. I undertook the investigation of Mayor Nutter's uh, mayoral, the Mayor's Fund for Philadelphia, which has recently resulted in an indictment of the chief executive. The mayor took the front page of the newspaper to call me a liar, a snake, and a hypocrite. That kind of stuff, I'm used to that stuff all the time because the reason I'm in public service is because I want to protect people who, where I think I can be their protector. And, and believe me, I, I never had one good day in Harrisburg because every day I got up, I knew I was going to be fighting the powers that be. And it is not fun, but it's necessary. <laughs> all right. We're going to take two more questions, if we can. Go ahead, Pat. Okay, I just you you said that you stood up to John Doherty, but the Inquirer reported this morning that you've taken two hundred thousand dollars from Local ninety eight over the years, including twenty two thousand since the, his home and office were raided. Yeah, but but what's the issue? Every politician in Philadelphia took money from John Doherty. The difference is I didn't get bought. Okay. For three years, Jim Kenny has been on the same side as Johnny Doherty. When he passed the soda tax, Kenny didn't go to council. He sent Doherty there so he could threaten the council people face-to-face about going up against his boy, Bobby Heenan. When he came out against the construction tax, he sent Johnny Doherty to write that letter. I don't have any problem. I fought with Mayor Street. I fought with Mayor Nutter. I fought with Fitzfumo. I fought with John Doherty. I don't expect that I'm not going to be able to deal with people of questionable uh, morals or, or their background. You got to in politics, but you got to stand up to them and not be bought. Okay. Well, coincidentally, on that subject, Christopher Lindsay of Winfield Heights had a question about campaign financing and about the fact that, you know, PACs have played a role in local elections as much as in federal ones. And would you denounce or use a super PAC if Hmm. one were to Is that for you? Is that for me? Yeah. One minute, please. Uh, Either. I don't have it. If there's one out there, my (laughs) address is 11. I guess I... I guess I don't get to go first again, but that's okay. <laughs> to answer your question, uh, that's not a factor in my race this time. I don't have a PAC, super PAC, that I'm aware of that's supporting me. So. Okay. All right. But I'm aware that the mayor does. All right, last question, and I'll let you all choose who does that. Okay. Lighting, lightening this up here. What neighborhood do you live in and why? And then what is your favorite place to visit in the city? I live in Castor Gardens uh, um, because that's what we could afford uh, when I was practicing law in the 80s. And it's a nice little twin house. And at the time, we were down the street from a synagogue, which is now a a church. And my favorite uh, place to visit in the city, my son lives right around Independence Hall. And my favorite place to visit in the city is my, my son and grandchildren's house. So I live, in, uh, I live in Southwest Philadelphia on Cobb Street Park where I grew up there. The house I live in, I bought back. I live there now. It's a rural house, working class neighborhood. Um, um, I, I'm not going to say the favorite place because I'm going to get in trouble. I have like, I, I have like a multiple. favorite place. How about I have like, I know, I know. But like, okay, the park. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, truthfully speaking, it is the park because as a kid, it was right down the street from me. And before Xbox and all that stuff, you had to use your imagination. We were out in the park all the time playing so that, that part. And I, 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 so I live in the neighborhood I grew up as a kid. And I, I'll answer on behalf of the, neighbor, the, the mayor. He doesn't live in the neighborhood he grew up as a kid. So that's that part. 
All right. Well, thank you, gentlemen, for that. Um, and that is all the time, unfortunately, we have for uh, audience Q&A. We got in as many as we could. So now we're going to give each of the candidates uh, a chance to give a one-minute closing statement. We have a coin. So that you know, Senator he, he, Williams, he, he, he can go first. <laughs> I'm tired of losing that debate you, you all night. Say, uh, you good. say heads or tails, it's and good. Charlotte's going to flip it low. No, no, he can go. I'm serious. Uh, you going to let him go? Let's follow the it's process. Okay, okay. We'll follow the process. Now we're following the process. Now we want to be fair. Okay, whoever gets heads, we could go double or nothing. Heads or tails. Mr. Buckovitz says heads. So if heads comes, he goes first, and there you go. So go ahead and flip it. Good. Thank you very much. All right. You get one minute right. to give your closing statement. And by the way, in about 10 minutes, I will be following the process. Go Sixers. That said. One uh, minute that, to clo for okay. closing statement, uh, so, Senator Anthony Williams. I, I, you know, I'll make it very simple. For those of us who are following this, this, this campaign, the, the issues are very obvious. Uh, gentrification, poverty, the level of violence in the city of Philadelphia. Our streets are filthy, potholes are not filled, and people being scared to death about being taxed out of their property. But most importantly, to those who are listening to this radio show tonight, if you consider yourself a progressive, then it, this, if there was a court system that indicted a person who was a progressive, one that has the whitest administration in the last 20 years, the least diverse administration in the last 20 years, those in terms of uh, contracts, the least engaged in the last 20 years, those who have um, disbanded public education, taking back all the credit for, for schools, but stands up and brags about a 1% growth in high schools. That means our neighborhood schools are falling apart and no one is identifying the resources to support them. This is not a progressive agenda. When people don't make progress, don't claim it. And so those who are listening tonight, if you are of color, if you are progressive, if you are LGBTQ, this administration has gone in the polar opposite direction by the people they associate with, the, the things that they do, and the policies that they erect. Thank you, sir. Mr. Buckovitz, oh, I don't Jim Kenney should have been here tonight. He should be anywhere tonight. It's been an insult to the voters of Philadelphia that he won't come forward and defend his record. He won't defend it because he can't defend it. Because the last time somebody asked him why he didn't have any diversity administration, he said because black people were too rich to work for him. And he can't afford another gaffe like that. But the reality is people, I went to a, a meeting at St. James Church about a week ago, 500 people, every single person in the church had lost a loved one to gun violence. The poverty crisis is a national disgrace in Philadelphia, and he's got no plan for it other than to say in a couple generations he thinks it might get better. And the gentrification crisis is, and the real estate tax crisis in Philadelphia is pushing Philadelphians out of their homes to make room for richer people. We need, we need a mayor whose eye is on the ball about really trying to help the people who need government to help them in Philadelphia, who's got the backbone to stand up to all the powerful interests who are going to try to club them down and will not be kissing John Doherty's feet. All right. Well, with that, this is it for the special live audience edition of Flashpoint. Remember to cast your ballot on May 21st. There are so many candidates uh, on the ballot for offices that impact everyday lives of Philadelphians. Thank you to our Democratic mayoral candidates, Mr. Alan Buckovitz, and to State Senator Anthony Williams. Great for being job, here Jerry! Today. Applause for them. And I'd also like to say thank you to our reporter panel, Pat Loeb, Kristen Johansson, and Ian Bush. Thank you so much for the time. 
And uh, you can follow the show on Twitter. Our handle is Flashpoint Show. Please subscribe to the podcast for exclusive content. You can use the radio.com app, Apple Podcast app, or other platforms. Just search Flashpoint KYW. And be sure to listen to this show. We have a special one-hour edition. Let folks know what they missed. It airs beginning 9.30 p.m. on Saturday, 8.30 a.m. on Sunday. You can listen while you go to church. And uh, <laughs> on your way to church, uh, and you can find everything at kwnewsradio.com slash Flashpoint. I'm Cherry Gregg. Thank you so much to you all for your questions and for being here with us tonight. Have a great evening.